Dateline, 24th of June, 2013. Well, good day, folks, and welcome to the Australia Desk for episode 254. I tell you what, Grant, it seems like forever since we actually did a, a proper Ausdesk, pre-recorded and everything. I, I think you could be right there, mate. Um, I think we had a bit of a holiday last weekend, didn't we? We uh, managed to get away without having to record anything. Yeah, well, there's no point taking a holiday in Australia at this time of year, Grant, because it's the middle of winter. Yeah, but it's still kind of nice if it's not foggy. I couldn't see anything in town today. It was so foggy, but the last few days beforehand have been pretty uh, spectacularly beautiful. Blue skies, bit cold and crisp, like a whole 10 Celsius and minus three on the launch field a couple of times when I've been flying. But other than that, it's been great. Well, we might chat about that in a minute, Grant. But uh, speaking of fog, let's talk about uh, the airlines. It's really been causing chaos down in our corner of the country lately. There's been lots of fog. As you mentioned, uh, Melbourne Airport this morning, uh, as we record this, was uh, fogged out again. But uh, there's also been fog in Adelaide uh, as well. And that's been causing lots of trouble. And in fact, uh, a few days ago, a couple of uh, Boeing 737s uh, on their way to Adelaide uh, from uh, points north had to divert to the large Victorian rural city of Mildura, which is, uh, <laughs> some people would say is in the middle of nowhere. It does have quite a sizable airport, but Grant, uh, seeing 737s on the ground is uh, not something you see every day at that airport. And uh, in fact, uh, one was a Qantas one and one was a Virgin 737 and uh, that had uh, quite some issues. Apparently, uh, Mildura is used to getting Dash 8s and the occasional jungle jet as the Embraers fly in for Virgin, but uh, definitely a bit of an eyebrow raiser that a pair of 737s would wind up there. In this instance, a Virgin 737 had been on its way from Brisbane when the fog rolled in at Adelaide and it was quite clear that no one was getting in. It was a pea super and it wasn't going away. So they diverted to Mildura, which also wound up getting fog. Now, Mildura is quite a distance from Adelaide. It's not like right next door or anything, but uh, it's been a bit of a trend lately with the uh, winter we've been having. Uh, Quite a number of fogs lately. And uh, when the aircraft left Brisbane, Adelaide was forecast clear with a chance of fog, but seemed okay. Uh, Mildura was forecast clear. During the flight, the fog rolled in. During the diversion, the fog rolled in. And uh, apparently the Virgin 737 had two missed approaches. And then they actually uh, declared a fuel emergency to be allowed to land at below minimum uh, visibility levels. And they actually had their passengers in the brace position. Yes, and it caused all sorts of uh, interesting headlines in the media as a result. Now, there were 85 passengers and six crew on board this aircraft. Of course, you know, everybody, uh, it's a little bit exciting for everybody having to land in the brace position, no doubt. But uh, this has, of course, uh, triggered an uh, ATSB investigation. Interestingly, Grant, they don't say they're going to report on that until March of next year, so glad to see they're not, not in any hurry. Makes you wonder, um, you know, how close to the margins they run these uh, the, these aircraft, because as you mentioned, Grant, although Mildura is a, a reasonably sizable distance from Adelaide, it's kind of sort of on the way, actually. I mean, uh, in, in terms of a 737 and the speed that those aircraft travel at, um, I think it would uh, obviously be quite a, uh, quite a, a prudent uh, place to mark as an alternate place to land if you can't make it perhaps back to your point of origin or to some of the major airports, uh, you know, such as Melbourne, which was uh, out of the question on this particular day. Well, they had travelled down from Brisbane, which is at least a two-hour flight to Adelaide. Uh, they then diverted to Mildura after holding uh, near Adelaide, is my understanding, returned back to Mildura, which is going back up the track uh, somewhat towards the Sydney-Brisbane area, and then they'd had two missed approaches. Now, a missed approach chews a lot of fuel. Given that they had been told that Mildura was not fog 
rebound was clear when they diverted. They probably expected they should have been able to get in. I guess if they had known it was going to be bad, they might have said, no, we're going to Melbourne, which is about 50 minutes away by air from Adelaide. So again, not a lot of options. And once you're in the area of Mildura and you take a couple of goes, uh, you've burnt through a lot of fuel. And by declaring an emergency, you're able to land at a location that is actually below your company's or the regulator's minimum standards for, for landing with the configuration and equipment you have on board your aircraft and at the airport. So I'd say that in these two missed approaches, they'd uh, noticed that if they went a bit further, they could probably make it. They were in a bad fuel situation. They didn't have many other options. So down they went. Yeah, Grant, one of the interesting things about this is that given that this airport is uh, obviously an alternate for uh, so many of these uh, flights, uh, and interestingly, Grant, the Qantas flight got in there. I wonder how much earlier or later that one got in. But uh, this this airport at Mildura doesn't have an ILS approach. It's got a VOR approach uh, and it's got a uh, GPS approach published for it. So, uh, you know, perhaps a a more precision approach uh, system might be something that they consider in the future. Uh, You know, I guess that's a big call and very expensive, but uh, maybe something to think about. Well, I'll tell you what, Grant, uh, talking about all things uh, refueling, let's talk about military and uh, the RAF KC-30A tankers. They've been doing a good job getting up there and performing very well recently in Exercise Aces North. They certainly did, Steve. Two of the RAF's KC-30A multi-role tanker transports are built, of course, on the Airbus A330 airframe, took part in the Aces North exercise up north in Tyndall and Darwin area, which was part of the graduation of the new fighter combat instructor class. And they were uh, busy refueling both Super Hornets and regular Hornets, of course, with the the probe and drogue system. The uh, flying boom is not yet fully certified, but that didn't stop folks getting some very interesting photos of Hornets formating on the tail uh, in the position where they would be if they were able to refuel from that boom. Actually, it's a very good view from out that window. Grant, have I ever mentioned the time that I rode on that KC-30A? Oh, just about, but not quite as many times as you've mentioned the Hercules ride. Yes, I haven't mentioned it this week, so I'm doing well, actually. The therapy's working well. Yeah, yeah, what, the version therapy where I just keep hitting you? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Well, it is good to see that the KC-30As are getting up there and getting operational. It's something that the Air Force has lacked here for many years is its own air-to-air refueling capability, so fantastic to see that they're progressing that program on. Grant, uh, another company that's progressing, despite some uh, concerning news that we uh, spoke about uh, a few weeks ago, is Gips Aero, and uh, we often talk about the GA8 air van, and you'll see plenty of those over there in the US flying with the Civil Air Patrol. Um, they've just rolled out airframe number 200. Which is a pretty major milestone for an Australian aircraft manufacturer. And aircraft number 200 in the GA8 air van range has gone to Hawker Pacific, one of their sales and support dealers. Now, of course, the GA8 air van looks like a beefed up Cessna. It's an eight-seater with a classic high-wing design, very rugged, built for operations in the outback of Australia and in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. Uh, wonderful success story, and we're very happy to see that they've managed to roll out 200 of them. Yes, and the uh, CEO of uh, Gibbs Aero, which is uh, Terry Miles, and boy, he's been with that company, I think, right since the very beginning, actually. He must be very proud of this uh, achievement. Uh, he's quoted here as saying, the airvan has found favour with customers in 34 countries across the globe, and we hope to continue to build on this momentum and expand our customer base. So, uh, yeah, I hope that they do. And uh, despite some concerning news, we actually haven't heard any more about any staff movements down there at the Gibbs Aero factory in Morwell, which is 
is a couple of hours drive to the east of Melbourne. Uh, but yeah, yeah, as you say, Grant, they're only a small manufacturer, but uh, you know, it, it is good in terms of the Australian uh, aerospace industry for a uh, GA manufacturer. That is uh, quite a fantastic milestone. And uh, Gibbs Aero do make some other aircraft and have some others in development. They were actually making some uh, egg planes for a while, some crop dusters, and uh, those aircraft uh, have a pretty good, a solid reputation as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not in production anymore, but uh, who knows? Maybe Gibbs Aero will uh, ramp that back up again. It depends on what the market's willing to take, I guess. But, uh, you know, you've got to be looking a long way down the path to make those kind of decisions. And, uh, mate, speaking of looking a long way down the future, uh, some of you may recall a few uh, Ausdesks back. We mentioned that a team from Melbourne's Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, RMIT, were going over to Paris for the uh, Airbus Fly Your Ideas Global Competition's final round. And, Steve, how did they go? Well, Grant, they came second. <laughs> Which is a fantastic effort. Yeah, we, we were all thinking it would be fantastic if they won it. They would have won uh, 30,000 euros uh, if they had have come first. But I'll tell you what, Grant, they won 15,000 euros, which is uh, not a bad uh, second prize. Now, it was great that the RMIT team uh, did so well and came second. Grant, uh, now, you know, it's a South American university that uh, came first. So uh, given that you're the resident linguist here, how about you <laughs> tell us who came first? A team of students from the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil claimed the top prize of 30,000 euros. Yeah, well done. And they let's see, they had a an air cushion baggage loading system, which is what they came up with. So uh, we might just remind our listeners that the RMIT's concept was for a liquefied biomethane and liquefied natural gas fuel for Airbus aircraft. So what a mouthful. But uh, I tell you what, uh, all these sort of things all add to the sum of knowledge, uh, which is a good thing. So uh, well done to the team from RMIT. And uh, Grant, when they get back, I think we're going to have to get down there and, uh, you know, record an interview or three with them. I think so. I've got the contact details. We ran out of time before they left to go to Paris, but uh, they should be back by now, so we'll give them a yell and uh, see what we can tee up for a, a good chat. No problem. Now, we didn't mention at the start there that you were talking about balloons and fog, so Grant, uh, you've been doing a bit of ballooning the last few weeks. In fact, you and our team member Kathy Mexted were uh, out there ballooning yesterday in the freezing cold winter morning. <laughs> it was pretty brisk. There was a lot of frost on the ground, and uh, yeah, I managed to clock up another 1.7 hours, which was absolutely wonderful. It was glorious weather. Clear blue skies, sea for miles, uh, you definitely warmed up once you took off, of course. Colder air staying close to the ground, radiant heat from the burners, moving with the air, bit of sunlight, all added up. We were quite warm and toasty and Kathy really enjoyed her flight. Uh, really, really liked the fact that I managed to do three circuits before landing on the field that I'd picked. The winds were such that I was actually able to overshoot, come down, fly back, go, no, nope, that's not a good angle. Go back up, go further along, get another angle. And, and it, it took me three goes, but uh, I'd been flying uh, with the idea of, la- of what we call a hare and a hound, which is where one balloon takes off and prior to everyone else and uh, flies ahead and everyone else has to uh, try and catch up to them and, uh, and land where they land. And uh, it was just the two balloons in the sky and I landed closer to them at the end after 1.7 hours than I'd been when I took off. But it did lead to uh, three attempts to get it right on the final landing. I was very lucky with that with the winds, um, especially after one <clears throat> touch and go. Uh, well, people will just have to go onto our Facebook page at Playing Crazy Down Under to see video of that. One of our listeners was good enough to take video of it for you, Grant. Isn't, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Evan. It was really great that you were there at the time to take that video. Well, Kathy Mex- 
Alex said he's still talking to you, Grant, so I don't think you upset her too much. It looks like she had a good time. And as the saying goes, any landing one walks away from is a good one. And I could use the aircraft again afterwards. Go me. Go you, absolutely. Well, anyway, well done, mate. Uh, good to get up and get some altitude. In fact, we've both been doing a bit of flying lately, so uh, it's always a good thing. Excellent. I'm looking forward to when you uh, get current again so we can go fang about the sky. You and me both, mate. Well, dreaming of that until next week. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm the floating Grant McCarran. Cheers, folks.